Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned. For sin indeed was in the world before the law was given, but sin is not counted where there is no law. Yet death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam, who was a type of the one who was to come. Thanks, Keziah, for reading our scripture for this morning. Now, do you ever wonder why our world is so messed up? I know I do. Now, we have the obvious messes, the most recent uh, Russia-Ukraine conflict. But did you know that there are another 14 armed conflicts presently going on around the world? Looking closer to home, I have never experienced a more divided Canada than we are currently experiencing. More people are breaking relationships over their positions on COVID, freedom convoys, pipelines, vaccination, going green, social justice issues than at any time since probably World War II. Say a wrong word or post a wrong idea on social media and you're canceled. Your social media accounts are blocked and maybe even your bank accounts are frozen. So much of the conflicts uh, defy logic. People who decry violence by one party commit violence in the name of their cause and don't give their hypocrisy a second thought. Now, this level of conflict does not even take into account the political payoffs, the lies, the scams that are regularly exposed. It doesn't take into account the local stories of violence or theft, abuse, murder, or arson. Now, if you go through the business section, you're going to find scandals, fraud, and embezzlement, to name a few. If you go through the sports section, you're going to find drug abuse, illegal gambling, and adultery. If you go through the entertainment section, well, you're going to find too many scandals and sins to even mention. No rational person can deny that evil, real evil, exists in this world. So how did we get here? Now, I've often heard people say human beings are essentially good, and it is only the negative environments that we have experienced that have led us to doing evil things. But at heart, we're good. Well, If we're essentially good, why is the world so messed up? Why do we even think that we're essentially good at heart? So indulge me in a brief uh, history lesson of social and psychological thought. If you go back to the 17th and 18th centuries, the age of enlightenment began. It was an intellectual and philosophical movement centered on the value of human happiness, the pursuit of knowledge obtained through reason, and the evidence of the senses, our experiences. Ideals such as liberty, progress, and toleration were promoted. As these ideas gained acceptance, a worldview built on individualism rooted in the hope of secular humanism, which is the belief that humanity is capable of morality and self-fulfillment without God, grew in popularity. Secular humanism preaches the belief that humanity is good and that science and social progress will solve all of our problems. But a fundamental question remains. If we're so good, why is this world so bad? Why is it so messed up? If things are supposed to be getting better, why are there more people, for example, enslaved today than at any other time in history? Why is Canada more divided today than at any other time in my lifetime? Society has tried to blame the ills of our world on religion in general and often on Christianity in specific. Yet, if we take a deep dive into history, 
we quickly realize that most fundamental pillars of a good and just society actually come from Christian teaching. In 2018, pastor and author Tim Keller spoke at the parliamentary prayer breakfast in the House of Parliament in London. In his address, which was entitled, uh, What Can Christianity, Christianity Offer Our Society in the 21st Century?, he quoted Charles Taylor, the great Canadian philosopher, from his book, Sources of the Self, The Making of Modern Identity. Now, in that book, Taylor talks about what he calls a contradiction at the very heart of modern culture. Taylor puts it like this. We tell people, especially our young people, we say, you've got to be true to yourself. You've got to follow your own inner light. You can't tell anybody what's right or wrong for them. And not only do you have to be true to yourself, you have to be true to yourself no matter what your family says or what your community says or what society says. You don't sacrifice for them. You make them adjust to you. But then we say to them, but then you have to actually work for justice. You have to work to alleviate hunger, which of course takes sacrifice. So what that does is it takes giving up power. It takes giving up wealth. It takes giving up all sorts of things. Taylor asks, so how are they going to do that? When Charles Taylor's book first came out, he made this point. And an atheist reviewing his book wrote this. Perseverance and virtue will require self-sacrifice. And self-sacrifice seems to require some transcendental justification or motivation of which the most common and perhaps the most logical is belief in God. Since we have rejected God, he asks, can we be good for long without God? It was self-sacrificing Christians who were the impetus behind ending slavery, the extension of education around the globe, the establishment of hospitals around the world, especially for the poor and for the impoverished. A culture, a people who are taught to be self-centered and self-absorbed has no way to support their altruistic aims over the long haul. As Taylor said, this is the modern dilemma. Now, I'm not saying that Christianity got everything right, but I am saying that the very freedom society extols to explore self-determined and self-expression are based on Christian ideals. Humanity left to its own devices can do good but cannot sustain good. As the journalist said, can we be good for long without God? Okay, back to our original question. Why is the world so messed up? Now, to answer that question, we do need to take a trip back in time, back to the origins of humanity. Behind me, you can see a tree. Now, this tree represents not just any tree, but the tree of the knowledge of good and evil that God placed in the Garden of Eden. Beside me, you can see a cross. It's another type of tree, the tree Jesus was crucified on. The solution to the modern dilemma raised by Charles Taylor is found in these two trees. You could say one tree brings bad news and the other tree brings good news. But the only way to get to the good news is through the bad news. The tree that brings bad news was intended to bring good news. But one decision changed all that. It's amazing how one decision can change everything in our lives. For example, when my youngest son Matt was in high school, he gave us a few parenting challenges. Now Matt's pretty quick on his feet and... Uh, and he would usually have a pretty quick, witty word to shoot back at me when I would try to impart, you know, fatherly advice. One day, I was challenging him on some of his decisions. And his quick brain kicked into gear and he said, Oh, Dad, bad decisions make for great stories. 
To which I replied, or lifelong consequences. You can see we had our handfuls with that one. One decision can change everything. And that is what this story is about. One decision can change everything. Today's text begins in verse 12 of the book of Romans chapter 5. So what's the bad news? Listen to verse 12. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned. Or more simply put, when Adam sinned, sin entered the world, and Adam's sin brought death. So death spread to everyone, for everyone sinned. Did you catch that? Because of Adam, everyone sinned. Because of Adam, you and I sin. So how can that be? How did Adam's sin impact our lives and create the mess we're watching today? Is that even possible? Well, to understand Romans, we need to go back to the Adam reference in Genesis chapter 3, the first seven verses. Where it say, now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did you actually say you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said, you shall not eat the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden. Neither shall you touch it, lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die. For God knows that when you eat it, when you eat of it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desi- was desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate. Then the eyes of both were opened. And they knew they were naked. They sewed fig leaves together and made loincloths. The first tree, the tree of good and evil, was misrepresented to Adam and Eve and became the vehicle of bad news. Listen to verse 12 of Romans 5 again. When Adam sinned, when he ate the fruit of the tree, sin entered the world and sin brought death. So death spread to everyone for everyone sinned. So what were the consequences of Adam's choice? Three direct consequences. First, sin came into the world through one man. Second, death came into the world through sin. Third, death spread to all people because all have sinned. Paul, the author of Romans, clearly says that sin entered the world through one man, meaning Adam. Genesis 3 demonstrates Adam's leadership and father and fatherhood, and consequently, responsibility for the human family. Death came through sin. This is really clear from Genesis. And in chapter 3, Adam died spiritually. And in Genesis 5, uh, verse 5, he died physically. Now, often we have difficulty comprehending how death spread through sin to all people. Are we dead because Adam sinned or because we sinned? When Adam sinned, he lost peace with God. He died spiritually. That spiritual death spread to all people descended from Adam since all sinned through Adam's act, which means that everyone in the human race lost their peace with God and everyone enters this world spiritually dead. Now, think about this for a moment. 
Prior to Adam and Eve's poor decision, they enjoyed the blessing of God's immediate presence. Genesis chapter 3, verse 8, pictures God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. Their relationship with God was free of, free of shame, free of judgment, free of any awkwardness. They were open. They were real with God and he with them. But because we are marred by sin, it is difficult, if not impossible, for us to grasp the beauty of that rich, intimate relationship between God and Adam and Eve. When Adam and Eve chose to believe Satan's lie, you can be God. In fact, God is hiding something from you. You can rise to God's level. He just doesn't want you to be equal with him. Believing that lie, that decision had grave consequences resulting in death entering the world. So even though Adam and Eve did not die physically for several years, the seeds of death were planted at the moment of disobedience. But more importantly, Adam and Eve died spiritually. Spiritual death is separation from God. At that point in history, God and humans turned in different directions. Humans pursued the path of pride and self-concern. God pursued the path of redemptive love. But how did we get from Adam's personal sin and spiritual death to his sin being applied to everyone who has walked the earth since Adam? It It is because Adam was the first created person. His sin had consequences for all who were born into the human race. In Romans 5.12, again, Paul wrote, In this way death came to all people. The language used in verse 12 conveys the idea that Adam sinned with the result that death came to all people. The cause of our sinful nature would be the sin of Adam. The result of that sin would be the history of sinning on the part of all who enter the human race. And in fact, sin by their own initiative. Not only were Adam and Eve banned from the Garden of Eden, banned from God's presence, all who come after them are also banned. Now, very practical example. This is my two-year-old grandson. I love my grandson. He's as cute as they come. He has the best laugh in the world. How could this beautiful little boy be spiritually dead? If he does anything bad, it must have been taught to him by his parents. We know it certainly couldn't have come from his grandparents. What do all kids do once they have enough motor skills to get around? They grab things and keep them for themselves. They grab things they shouldn't grab. They discover selfishness in profound ways. And when mom or dad suggests that they shouldn't be so selfish, they lash out, they scream, maybe even start to hit people. Well, my grandson decided that hitting would be the best way to express his frustration. I know he didn't learn that from his parents, and I know he didn't learn it from his grandparents. So what's the difference between a two-year-old and any self-serving dictator? Well, one has a bigger stick to use when he doesn't get what he wants. The spirit of either act is the same, though. Sin and selfishness are expressed in self-serving ways. It's in all of us. The Apostle Paul, the author of Romans, brings the point closer to home for Jewish readers when he focuses heavily on living in line with the law of Moses that was given following the exodus out of slavery in Egypt. Paul writes in Romans 5.13, For sin indeed was in the world before the law was given, but sin is not counted where there is no law. So what does that mean? If there was no law to break, does that mean that those people did not sin? And if they didn't sin, why were they subject to Adam's curse? Pastor Eugene Peterson uh, put it this way. Adam's sin disturbed relations with God in everything and everyone. 
But the extent of the disturbance was not clear until God spelled it out in detail to Moses. So death, this huge abyss separating us from God, dominated the landscape from Adam to Moses. We can't break a law that does not exist. But death, the consequences of sin, were in effect from Adam until Moses, even for those who did not break a specific command like Adam's. Adam was a type or a pattern of the one to come, and he provides a basis for understanding the relationship between sin and salvation. When Adam sinned, humanity, uh, which is the basic definition of the Hebrew word Adam, sinned in him. Paul confirmed this in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 22, saying, in Adam all die. In Romans 5, 18, Paul will say even more plainly, yes, Adam's one sin brings condemnation for everyone, period. This raises a fundamental question for many people. Why are we subject to the consequences of Adam's bad choice? Why are we not judged by our own actions? Many people ask, is God really being fair with us? That's a huge question. Is God being fair? And it's a great question. Now, I think many people, especially in the Western world, want to be judged on the merits of our own behavior. In fact, we demand to be treated as individuals. Do you ever wonder why that is? Why do we raise our fist at God and scream, God, you're not being fair. You're not just. We're doing our best. We're good people. I was reflecting on this, and I was reminded of uh, the great classic movie that left its mark on history. It was probably the best movie of 1987. So I'm taking you way back. Do you remember it? Obviously, I'm talking about the classic, The Princess Bride. The movie depicts a fairy tale being read by a grandfather to his grandson. The fairy tale tells the story of a farmhand named Wesley. Accompanied by companions, he's befriended along the way, who must, hel- who must help him rescue his true love, Princess Buttercup, from the evil Prince Humperdinck. Now, Wesley is captured by the evil prince and tortured to death. His friends find his body and take him to the folk healer called Miracle Max. And Max inspects Wesley and gives this diagnosis. He says, It just so happens that your friend here is mostly dead. There's a big difference between mostly dead and all dead. Mostly dead is slightly alive. With all dead, well, there's only one thing you can do. Go through his clothes and look for loose change. What does the movie have to do with our text? Good question. I think we see the troubles in our society. We see the evil things people do to each other. We see the pain in our world. And rather than recognize that we are spiritually dead, that the problem in the world is us, we think that we are perhaps mostly dead. In other words, there's evil in the world. Some people are evil. But we can still fix ourselves. Because if we're truly dead, there's only one solution. And it's not looking for loose change. Because of Adam's choice, God, in a great act of love and fairness, extended the consequences of that choice to all people. To begin with, if God had tested each human being individually, the result would have been the same, disobedience. Paul tells us in in Romans 5, the first half of verse 14, he says, Still, everyone died from the time of Adam to the time of Moses, even those who did not disobey an explicit command of God as Adam did. We're all spiritually dead. We're not mostly dead. We're all dead. There is no reviving us by our own efforts or our own merit. There is nothing you or I can do about our deadness. The second great truth of being dead is that we are all the same before God in our deadness. Now, some people seem to think that somehow they are less dead than others, as if their attempts at earning God's 
or society's favor will somehow help or God's favor will lessen their deadness. That doesn't work that way. There are no degrees of deadness. It's all the same. Rich, poor, educated, uneducated, living in a mansion or homeless, all dead. All the same. All because of Adam. Adam is the head, as the head of the human race, sinned. And God saw in Adam that the whole human race is guilty. That's the bad news. So what's the good news? Now, you're going to take a deep dive into the good news next week, but we have to touch on it. I need to give you a taste of what Paul was talking about. The second half of verse 14 says, Now Adam is a symbol, a representation of Christ who was yet to come. What does that mean? Now let's go back to how Eugene Peterson translated this in, uh, in the message. Eugene wrote, Even those who didn't sin precisely as Adam did by disobeying a specific command of God still had to experience this termination of life, this separation from God. But Adam, who got got us into this, also points ahead to the one who will get us out of it. That's good news. Adam couldn't fix the problem he created, but he points ahead to Jesus, who fixed the problem. Because one man's choice brought death to all of us, another man's obedience brings life to all of us. Whether from Adam to Moses or from Moses to now, Paul says that the human race lost its peace with God as a result of death inherited from Adam. Thankfully, we were not left in that state. Our peace with God has been won back for us by the second Adam, Jesus. And Pastor A will tell us the full reality and implication of the second tree, the cross, next week. But what do you do now? What do you do when you find that you were born spiritually dead? Here is where you begin. Accept your spiritual reality. Today, my goal is to show you that if you are not in relationship with Jesus, you are spiritually dead. Not because of what you've done, but because you were born that way. All your good works, all your efforts at self-improvement, all your achievement do not change your deadness. You might be a nicer form of dead. You might be a kinder form of dead. You might be a greater contributor to society form of dead. But you're still dead. The place where hope begins, the modern dilemma is solved when you actually believe you are dead. You admit your deadness and resolve to quit justifying why you should be absolved from the consequences of Adam's choice. The tree that Jesus hung on, the tree that held the one whose obedience took on our deadness, took on our sin, our shame, our fear, and exchange gave us new life. That's the good news tree. That's the good news that follows the bad news. That's the good news that Pastor Ray will explain in great detail next week. If you want to experience the good news today, simply give your deadness, your sin, to Jesus and receive his life. If that is your desire, pray with me in a moment and click on the connect button. We'd love to follow up with you and guide you into a life-giving relationship with Jesus Christ. So pray with me if you want to make that decision today. Father, thank you that you are good. And that even though sin came into the world through Adam and and that impacted all of humanity, including me, I recognize my spiritual deadness. I recognize my sinfulness that that I've expressed through all kinds of selfish actions because I'm dead. Come and forgive my sin. Come and make me alive. Come and deal with my deadness, Father. I put my faith in you. 
Please forgive my sin. Remove my shame. Take away my fear. Fill me with your spirit. Thank you for adopting me into your family and guide me in following you for the rest of my life. Amen.